Welcome to Up My Hockey with Jason Padolan, where we deconstruct the NHL journey, discuss what it takes to make it, and have a few laughs along the way. I'm your host, Jason Padolan, a 31st overall draft pick who played 41 NHL games, but thought he was destined for a thousand. Learn from my story and those of my guests. This is a hockey podcast about reaching your potential. Hello there and welcome back to episode 14. My, 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 14 already. I can't believe we're there. Uh, 14, episode 14 of Up My Hockey with Jason Padolan. I am Jason Padolan. And today, uh, listeners, you are going to have the pleasure of listening to Ryan Ginter. Uh, we're going to revisit the scouting community here with uh, the Bantam draft, the WHL Bantam draft just around the corner. I thought Ryan would be the perfect guest because Ryan has been a member of the Western Hockey League scouting community for the past decade and began his scouting tenure with the Chilliwack Bruins franchise, uh, which is now the Victoria Royals, uh, way back in 2009. Uh, he served in several different scouting capacities, uh, including two seasons as the head scout for the Royals. So Ryan knows the game, the scouting game, from all facets. He was a foot soldier on the ground, all the way up to being a head scout and making the decisions on draft day. Uh, Ryan now scouts for the Winnipeg Ice while working as a mental performance consultant. So Ryan is a very intriguing guest because not only has he been a uh, a scout, but he also comes at it from an academic side. He got his master's degree in sports psychology. His thesis was on the intangible player characteristics that junior hockey scouts consider when evaluating draft eligible prospects. So he's taking the, uh, the aspect of how to grade and critique hockey players away from the, from the traditional skating, shooting, hockey IQ um, ability standpoints of hockey players, but now he's bringing in the intangible player char- characteristics, what he calls diminishing characteristics. Oh my goodness, those are mouthfuls. Diminishing characteristics and also enhancing characteristics. Um, we get into those in this interview. These are all characteristics that I believe can be trained. They are very understated, I believe, also in the community. We're always worried about the ability traits. We're always worried about skating, puck handling, stick handling. But scouts look for other things, and these other things actually make you a better hockey player. So this is an awesome, awesome discussion. All you parents out there, you can be a diminishing intangible. That's a red alert. So uh, listen to this episode. Uh, There's lots of great stuff for hockey players, for young guys who want to get drafted, what scouts are actually looking for. And uh, Ryan's research is uh, is first rate. It's been published in... uh, in in these academic articles uh where was it published it was published in the sports psychologist academic journal so a testament to ryan for how great this research is and uh his 10 years in the biz is definitely worth listening to so without further ado i bring you ryan ginter all right my friend ryan ginter welcome to up my hockey thanks for having me it's an honor and a pleasure Hey man, no problem. Uh, your name and our relationship is one of the things I love most about the game is because we met um, indirectly through hockey. Uh, Sean Gillum was uh, was a 16-year-old in Spokane with me where I, where I met Gilly. 
And uh, so we went four years together in, in Spokane. Gilly and I have the same damn tattoo on our legs. That's how tight we were in uh, in Spokane. And you and Gilly were real tight from from the Lethbridge days. So we, we met through through Gilly, through hockey, and uh, and now we we've kept in touch uh, off and on all these years. And, and now here we are talking uh, talking on a hockey podcast. So uh, that's one of the things I love about the games of the relationship. So thanks for joining. Yeah, no, seriously, it's my pleasure. And it, it is the the big one of the big beauties about hockey is you you meet so many people and become buds and those uh, friendships last a long time. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. So let's get right in here. Um, Can we, let's talk a little bit just about how you got involved because again, when I knew you, we were both just snotty nosed teenagers running around, um, you know, having some fun. And then obviously life takes its course and we have kids and get married and do these things. And then you ended up, um, scouting in in the western league and what was what was that process like for you to, to get involved there and then let's even talk about where you ended at, well not ended up but i mean your your uh your evolution there within the victoria franchise and and what you're doing today sure um so you know i i never had any real desires to coach or be kind of directly involved i always i like the kind of the, the semblance of a team so uh, scouting was a, a natural thing for me to get into once I was, you know, moved to Edmonton and, and established myself professionally. Um, you know, it was something that I wanted to do. Um, so just reached out, you know, at the time, um, just by chance, I didn't know Mark beforehand, but Mark Habscheid um, took over in Chilliwack. So it was the Chilliwack Bruins before the uh, Victoria Royals. And uh, worked as a, a regional scout here in Edmonton for, for two to, I guess, two years with Chilliwack and then about three years after that. How did that uh, start though, Ryan? So like a lot of guys wonder, I mean, how do you become a scout even for, for people that are interested? It, was it, was it a personal relationship that, that you, you know, that, that you made this connection with Mark and then they needed someone in the area? And I mean, I'm interested in that too. Like how, how somebody deems worthy of being able to scout you know yeah. like sometimes like sometimes a story gets told is like it's almost like you know <laughs> a buddy of a buddy of a buddy and let's see what he can do kind of thing right like as far as the you know how to get involved how's what's the track record how do you know what what you're looking for in a player it's such an interesting world for me yeah no i think um in, in my case um my name just got kind of passed around, uh, ended up in Mark's hands. And then he reached out to the head scout. I kind of did a, a semi-formal interview with, um, you know, with the scouting director at the time. And it's really like, I basically said, yeah, I'll, I'll just do it for free. Right. And it, and it's really a business um, that without the last name, because a lot of times you have the right last name, you have the right contacts and you can, kind of wedge your way in there but you know I didn't have the luxury of that so it was really kind of a pay your dues type of situation and um, you know at the very beginning I was really critical with myself on on the players that that I like and so just like coaching I think you don't you just don't start out as a great coach it's something you have to continuously work on you know and kind of refine always be refining what you're what you're looking for in players right Oh, 100%. So, interesting. so you, you threw your hat in the ring, essentially. You, you let it be known that this is something that you wanted to do. Um, you always enjoyed the game. You wanted to be around it more. And to get your foot in the door, um, you know, you said, hey, yeah, I'll do this, and I'll do it for nothing. And thanks for the opportunity, essentially. Big time. And then just 
you know, it's it, a lot of a lot of folks get, um, you know, it's not just watching the game. Uh, watching the games is really one facet of it. The other really important facet uh, to, to to doing it uh, and properly and, and effectively is is the output. And and what I mean by that is what you take from the rinks and then enter it into um, a database that everyone uses called RinkNet. And, you know, I'll file, I, I don't think there's ever been a year where I've filed less than 1,000 individual player reports in a season. So you go and watch and, and you could think you got it all covered, but it really helps to organize everything. And it gives, you know, whether it's the GM or the director of scouting, it gives them a sense uh, of the history of the player, uh, the trajectory um, in terms of how they're, they're projecting throughout their season. Um, but that's so there's really kind of two facets that you have to prove yourself in going to games and then reporting on games. Right. Yeah. Cause watching the, the eye test is one thing and how you, how you communicate what you've seen to somebody else is obviously very critical because people need to know what's in your brain. Correct. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Awesome. So, so you got two years there, you say, and then what was the, what was the next step for you um, after your initial foray there? Um, you know, I, I, you know, um, just gradually kind of my voice um, increased within uh, when we moved to Victoria. Um, Cam Hope came in, David Lowry came in. Uh, David Lowry? Armstrong. My yeah. teammate Dave Lowry, that's awesome. One of my favorite people around. Uh, and then Grant Armstrong took, took the, um, you know, director of player personnel job. Uh, and they made me a provincial scout at that time. Uh, and then things just evolved. Uh, I did the head scout for a couple of years. Um, and actually, I was finishing my thesis at the U of A at the time. Um, so it, it spent a, a, the better part of a decade with the, the Bruins Royals franchise and now um, now working with the ice in Winnipeg as they transition from Kootenai to Winnipeg. Interesting. Um, my own curiosity is, is sparked there. How do you you know, with a player, because there's a, you know, there's some uh, checks and balances with players, right? I mean, you can see their goals, you can see their assists, you can see how big they are and how heavy they are. And there's all these intangibles. We'll get into your, your thesis later um, as well that are involved in, in analyzing the player. But how does a scout become recognized as being a good scout? Like, is it, do you have to find a couple kind of gems in the rough or is it, a, is it about you putting in the work and also, you mean, document that information that you were talking about or obviously probably a combination of maybe all of the above, but like, what, what, is, what is the best way to move forward within that industry? Yeah, I think, I think um, especially when you, I would say everyone starts out in a region or a province and, um, you know, I think your track record the, the, the players you end up taking, like, it, for example, if I do 500 reports on Bantam players uh, and 300 are in the province, you know, I'm recommending at the end of the day, you know, my top 30 to 50 type of players, right? So the players you're recommending, those are the ones that, that move up and down a list uh, that you take to the draft table. And um, a lot of times it, you know, the, the players that are taken out of your area, they, they not only become players in the franchise, but they become really good players. There's a difference between guys that can play and guys that are going to make an impact, right? And, and you know, you, you just kind of um, put the work in, but also it, it has to show some fruit for the organization too, right? 
Right. No, hundred percent. So again, so if you're recognizing players that are contributing again in, in, in over the span of 10 years, like you said, you're, you're involved in scouting, geez, that's almost like you know, assemblances of like five different WHL teams with the turnover rate there so much. So you do get to see a lot of uh, addition and subtraction with, uh, you know, w- with the guys that you're drafting. It's not like this is a long curve for you guys right now. No, no, it's not. It's it. And it, that's one of the big things. Uh, I think if you're differentiating junior and, and, and pro is that, you know, it is a short window. So and that, I think that, that even uh, speaks to, you know, the culture you're trying to create a little more that, that, that uh, um, message that you're sending to your scouts, as far as, the type of people you want in your organization, you want that to be, you know, set because, you know, the culture is short, so short is, and the, the time span is so short. So. Right. No, hundred percent. I kind of botched that up. But, uh, no, no, I, I get what you, I totally understand what you're saying there. And it makes a hundred percent sense. Right. I mean, the, you, you're not drafting a Cindy Crosby for 15 years. You're drafting somebody for three. And if he's really good, you're drafting him for two, kind of, right? right. You get him, you get him the 16 year old, your 17 year old, and then he's gone. So you, you have uh, your cornerstones are uh, play a big part there, you know, in a short period of time. So big I totally time. understand what you're talking about. What, um, w- with being the head scout now compared to a regional scout or be a guy that's uh, essentially a wrinklet rat, right? Like looking at this stuff when you, when you started out doing stuff for free, how does that change? I mean, obviously you're getting paid at that point. Um, you're, you're on the payroll, but how many people are you managing at that point? And how do you put the overall list together? What does that look like come draft time? Because draft time is just around the corner. Um, and, and you guys are doing that right now. Yeah. Uh, I think it really depends on the staff in Victoria. We had kind of guys, I would say 15, give or take, and they all had kind of different types of capacity and the roles they filled, uh, you know, which affects their output and their reports. Right. Um, in Winnipeg, there's four of us, right? And, and so it's a smaller, smaller group. Um, and, and so that, I think, you know, the, sometimes there's the, the, the less cooks in the kitchen, the better sometimes. And, um, you know, it, it, just, uh, it just depends on the team and the organization. But in Victoria, there's a lot to manage, whether it's just, you know, you think of the hotels and meals and, and stuff um, you kind of kind of have to facilitate outside watching hockey. And to me, I just, I like watching hockey. Yeah. Right. So does that mean four guys on payroll or does that mean four guys overall? It'd be tough to cover the entire Western Canada with four people or is that, is that the expectation? There's four of us on the scouting staff, um, including our assistant GM, Jake Heisinger. Um, Heisinger is still there, eh? That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's Heisinger Jr., right? Right. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes more sense. Yeah. So Craig's the uh, an executive with the Jets, and then his son Jake is our assistant GM, right? Gotcha. Really sharp young guy. Um, Matt Cockle is our our general manager, so he's usually with the team. Uh, and then Terrace McEwen is uh, the the GM of the Blues, uh, the Junior A team that the Ice uh, purchased last summer, and then. Mm-hmm. Um, one other scout in Winnipeg, so I'm the only other scout outside of Winnipeg. Oh wow! So you had a lot of you had a lot of ground to cover. Yeah, that was yeah. good though. Sweet. So how does that work? In the, I mean, the draft is coming up. Uh, it's going to be different this year. Maybe we should touch on that right now because I would imagine sure. it's it's uh, how has it done? How is it in the past? Do you do all the teams come into one room, or is it done somewhat virtually? Anyways, like what is what does a normal year look like? And then let's compare that to what this year is supposed to be like. 
Yeah, like the past 10 is the past 10 years. It's um, typically they were all in Calgary. My first one was in Edmonton. Then uh, for seven after that, they were in Calgary. Um, and then the last two have been in Red Deer, right? So, um, you know, typically they're done in a kind of a banquet room um, where, you know, each each table has is de designated for a team. A team can only allow so many people at the table. Um, and so that's kind of like your, it, it's, it's a less, it's a reduced version of the NHL, right? There's 22 teams, a um, little less kind of um, hype, if you will, right? The players aren't there. Uh, they usually do a break after the first round. So teams can do their media and PR for their, their high stakes players that they've just selected, right? Yeah. Uh, this year, this year though, um, you know, it's going to be all virtual. The, um, you know, the draft is usually always the first Thursday in May. Uh, this year it's going to be a Wednesday, uh, April 22nd, and it's all going to be virtually done. Right? So, uh, I will be different, but, um, yeah, I don't think it's going to change much in terms of either you've done the work or you haven't. Sure. I guess just from an organizational standpoint. So, I mean, the four of you guys then will be maybe on a zoom call like we are now essentially. So you guys can all be, be interacting and talking because I, I would assume there is a lot of discussion that happens around the table as guys leave and who's on your list left and where, you know, all those things that are going to happen on draft day need to be discussed. So uh, you guys will be on a phone call or on a computer and, and, and listening to the picks, I guess, is that the way it's going to roll? Yeah, well, I mean, have you ever followed a WHL draft? No, I never have. Yeah, they do a really good job of, um, you know, the, the picks are updated almost simultaneously, right? So, and in the system that we use, they're they're updated even quicker. Um, though I, I believe everyone from Winnipeg will be in a huddle and then I'll kind of join uh, that huddle just by phone or, or oh, like right. say video conference like this, right? Gotcha. Yeah. Oh, super fun. Um, I've been talking with some Bantam kids, uh, you know, recently. Uh, that's that's who, who I've been dealing with and talking to. And there's anxiety for everyone, and these kids in particular, because they do feel, you know, this is the biggest thing that's happened to them or could happen to them in, in, their, in their hockey career to date. And with the playoffs being, you know, abolished and, and a lot of these guys couldn't finish the year they wanted to finish and, and want to get in front of the people they wanted to get in front of, you know, there's kind of insecurity and there's anxiety and there's all these things that come with being uh, 14 or 15 years old and, and facing a draft. Um, did, did, do you think that this really changes things too much? I mean, you, you pretty much had a pretty good idea, I guess, on most of these guys throughout the year, although some guys, I guess, are probably finishing strong and some guys maybe weren't, and you always want maybe another look at some guys. But how do you think that the way that the season ended really impacted what you guys are doing? Yeah, I think um, one of the big things, Jason, is that, that there's three out of the four kind of end-of-season provincial camps that were canceled, right? Um, so again, maybe, maybe players on the periphery or teams that didn't maybe have a, uh, the same type of exposure, um, maybe would have had a little more then, but again, um, and, and what I mean by that is, so BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, they have what's called their kind of, um, program of excellence. So they, they invite so many players and then top 80 and, you know, filter it down from there. Right. Um, Saskatchewan had theirs early, so Saskatchewan might have a um, a little a more advantage. But um, 
you know, I, I think we'll get into that later on in that, you know, the, the draft is just one day and it's just one year of your development, right? So um, it shouldn't make or break anyone either way, in my opinion, right? right. Yeah, Whether no. you're a first round player, you don't get drafted. Um, I wouldn't let that define you in any way. Yeah, especially at this age, and there's so much ahead, and obviously there's there's egos involved, and there is, um, like you said, you mean you're in a break after the first round. These are supposed to be kind of the cornerstones of the organizations coming up. There is an expectation, you know, the higher you go, and um, teams do want these guys. I mean, they want all their picks to succeed, but they do have a little higher, uh, you know, hope, expectation for the guys they take earlier. You mean that this is all obvious stuff, but it doesn't uh, doesn't mean it's going to end up that way when you're 17, 18, 19 years old. Um, there's a lot of time between being 14 or 15 and and uh, and 17 to 19. So, um, which I think is what you're saying, which I tell these guys too. I mean, all it tells you is 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 where you got to get to, right? If you're first overall, I mean, there's there's 500 guys in the Western League that are chasing you, right? right? And if you're and if you're and if you're fifth, then you got guys that you got need to get better at. All all it just really does is just gives you a preliminary stacking point right now at this moment in time that is a little bit arbitrary as well so you know yeah. yeah what do you do yeah. um i've seen you know on that point i've seen in the 10 years i've seen lots of first round picks um flame out because they get put into situations where uh they're not ready to be in or that spotlight just gets too bright right it, you, you often think about the, the the larger nature of the league but once you come to camp as the first round I'll pick that spotlight is bright, right? Mm -hmm. And and some guys can't handle that well. Um, um, but then you see, you know, later round picks or guys that were never drafted, which I could name off several um, right off the top of my head, go on to have really good careers because they they don't buy in. They 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 have that chip on their shoulder where they want to prove us the scouting community wrong, um, and the spotlight's not as you know, they got nothing to lose. So let me just work hard and get after it. Right. Yeah. No, hundred percent. There's almost advantages. I mean, if you can, if you can have the moxie to, to overcome the fact that I didn't get drafted, you know, and, 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 and really have your dream in sight, whatever your goal is, right. If that's what you want to do, play the WHL and you didn't get drafted, like to build that resiliency from that point at 14 or 15 years old, to be determined that you want to get there. Like a lot of times you end up with a better player. I mean, I've seen that myself just even playing too, right. Yeah. That they, they come with the, with a little more uh, P and V as they say, right. They're ready to rock. Yeah. Big time. Well, let's get, I think that's good to, to switch into your thesis. And, and uh, so you now have a master's degree in sports psychology. Uh, maybe we should just touch on that, first of all. I mean, so what was the impetus to do that? So, I mean, here you are, head scout in Victoria. You start going back to school um, to, uh, you know, to get into sports psychology. Obviously, there, there's a connection there. But what was your, what was your goal? What was your, what was your idea behind it all? You know what? Um, I... <laughs> You know, I joined the corporate world here in Edmonton after I was done my first kind of tenure uh, at the University of Lethbridge playing hockey there. Uh, I obtained two degrees from the U of L, uh, one of which was uh, a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology and then a Bachelor of Management in Human Resources. And, um, you know, I kind of worked both ways and that the more I did what I was doing, which was like recruiting for um, Enbridge pipelines at the time, you know, it wasn't what I wanted to do. 
right? And uh, a couple life changes, you start thinking like, what, what is my passion? What I want? What do I want to do long term? Never mind, notwithstanding any kind of financial implications, right? Um, so I reached out to the University of Alberta. I re reached out to a couple of universities, and and John Dunn, um, who's who's uh, an amazing person in sports psychology globally, um, you know, he agreed to, to take me on. And um, you know, I just wanted to to refine how you look at at um, look at players because at that time the the analytics craze was taking over. Uh, where it was just just the numbers you put up, but you know, for me, and I think you'd probably agree, um, you know, that's one portion of it. Uh, the physical abilities are one portion of it, um, but then then another big characteristic is is intangibles, which was really loosely defined in in academic terms, right? Um, <clears throat> so um, that's kind of where I landed on my thesis and just trying to open up an exploration, not a definition of what intangibles are, um, but more of an exploration into how they might affect players in a draft process, right? Right. So, I mean, why don't you dig in a little bit more? Because, I mean, as you're speaking there, I'm understanding because I know the framework you're talking off of because I've, you know, I've looked at it and I've read it. But for the, those listening, what, what was your thesis then about the title? Give, give a little bit of background there, a little color so then we can dive in a little bit deeper. Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, the title was um, exploring the uh, intangible player characteristics that junior hockey scouts consider when they're evaluating draft prospects. Um, so, you know, I, what I did is that the framework was I, I interviewed, um, it was a qualitative study. So I interviewed 16 of my colleagues, right. Um, you know, scouts that I knew, um, and had a good relationship with and, and, and guys that I knew that would give me good input. Right. Um, so I, I designed an interview guide. So everything was, was asked the same way. Um, and within those 16 people. You know, it was anywhere from like regional scouts um, to head scouts to GM. So it was a good, good subsection of people, right? And um, all the interviews were um, transcribed, uh, well, first audio recorded and then transcribed. And then from there broke out themes from, from all the data that we collected, right? Right. So that, that kind of gives you um, how it was done. Um, you know, and, and so what I, I did is, is first really ask, okay, what are you looking at? When you go into a rink, what are the things you're looking at from a physical side, right? And I think it's really important, you know, that that's a, an important message. And I think most scouts over the five years experience, right? So they've seen a full life, life cycle from Bantam draft to their 19-year-old year. Um, I think most of them would be able to go and say, this player is a good skater, this player's got good skill, and this player thinks the game pretty well, right? And those are the three, three things I think that every team would universally uh, be looking at from a physical perspective. You could argue hockey sense isn't, isn't physical, but I think the better you skate and the more skill you have, the smarter you are, right? Mm -hmm. um, but those are three things, skating, skill, and the sense, right? Um, so those were kind of universal throughout the results. And then I asked after that, then after those three things are determined, 
what kind of intangibles are you looking for? So, so not the physical things, but the more the makeup of the player and their, their, you know, whether it's mental fortitude or, or the attributes they possess. Right. Right. I, I, I like, uh, in one of the summaries that I, that I read about it, the, the way that it was put was the, uh, the person behind the player. And, uh, and for me, that's even been a theme on this podcast. It was something that uh, Travis Green talked about in, in his, uh, in his keynote at the, at the coaches, uh, a conference there last year at the NHL draft where he said he talked about coaching the player. I mean, coaching the person instead of the player. Right. And, uh, and it was a whole theme on that and, and how, and how he, that's really how he models his coaching after. And I think that's becoming a real strong influence, even in the hockey world in general, just that there are people involved in this, in this aspect of playing hockey. And, and a lot of times the high performance characteristics involved in the success of, of, of a person um, as a player depends on how well they're managed as a person, right? So um, those, those characteristics that you're talking about, I found super intriguing. And you know, I was super intrigued with it because I think it's a, it's a massive indicator of, of where guys can go and, and how far they, they can go with it. So what did you, what were some of the things you were looking at or what the things that came out in your, in your research that maybe you were expecting or maybe even you weren't expecting? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, the results suggest that, that um, how do I break this down? The, the first set of results is, is something that I think um, that we labeled enhancing intangibles, right? So um, intangibles that, that were seen to be good, right? Uh, and would kind of increase the draft status of a player, right? Uh, so there was four um, main intangibles, if you will, that, that I think have long-term implications, not only in sport, but in life, right? So uh, the compete of a player so that's just I mean if I've seen a player you know say five five times to ten times over season I can get a really good sense of the consistency of their work ethic and their effort and their compete right it, it that all kind of means the same thing right mm -hmm. um the second one was character right so and character is defined a number of different ways but but again it goes back to that concept of you know uh, the person beyond the player. So for these young young players that we're drafting in the Western League, you know, how are you at the rink? But you know, not not only how you are in the rink, how are you in the dressing room? How are you in the lobby? How are you in school? How do you be? You know, how are you? What kind of behavior do you do display there? Right. So mm. uh, the second one was character. Um, the third one is you know, I could probably go on and on about all these, right? Because there's different levels of it. Third one was passion, right? Um, there's a lot of players that, that like the idea of, of being part of the team and getting that jacket. But then there's a different group of players that are like, I want to do this. And I, but nothing's going to stop me. Um, and, you know, um, one thing I will say is that, that passion seems kind of flaky, but uh, the right type of passion in academic terms uh, can really insulate um, players as they raise levels, right? So talked about that spotlight for the first round um, players, but that spotlight increases every level you go up. Um, so from Bantam to Midget to Junior, and then even beyond to Pro, um, having a real passion, you know, everyone expects it to be perfect all the time, but as you know, there's a lot of ups and downs, right? Whether it's you, you experience those in junior or, or beyond, 
Uh, and, and passion has really kind of been seen as an insulator from burnout. So uh, whether it's psychological, emotional, physical demands that catch up with you, that passion can get players through um, some of those difficult times that everyone's going to experience, right? Uh, so that was the third one. And then uh, the last one was, was really just this, um, uh, a big one for me in this kind of era is the, is the idea of being a real, um, a good leader and a team player, which I think are kind of synonymous. I think you don't have to wear a letter to put the team ahead of yourself. Um, but I think all team players are in a, in a way a good leader as well, right? Mm -hmm. So you have these en enhancing intangibles, right? And, and a lot of the academic research to date, uh, when they're trying to define intangibles, um, would include a lot of these things. So th this was not really coming up with, with new material, um, but really kind of layering on further evidence. So one thing that was a bit different um, in our research, um, you know, with the team that I had, um, was that there's th this constant message of kind of diminishing intangible came up, right? So these, these kind of red flags that would, would kind of drag your draft status and decrease your draft status, right? Whether you're a top end player or guys in the middle, right? Sure. Um, so the, some of the, the, the four diminishing intangibles was a, a, a real lack of any of the enhancing ones, right? So a lack of compete, a lack of character, a lack of leadership for being a team player, a lack of passion. All those were kind of uh, in a certain way would drag your, your status down a bit. Right? Or, or raise kind of red flags. Um, another one was just outward selfish behavior. I think, you know, the, the scouting communities can, you know, um, we're a bit old school, right? Still, still part of that. And, and for whatever reason, I think in hockey, especially being selfish is, is sometimes frowned upon, especially from a, you know, when you're looking at a, a building a culture and an organization. So um, selfish was, was another than one that was kind of, um, frowned upon and then um, you know I think the one that came up that a, that a lot of the, the press and the media want to focus on um, you know is is the the idea that parental behavior can be um, seen as a as a you know a diminishing intangible as well right yeah no 100 percent I mean there's so much there that you just said like I mean, even on the enhancing side, I'm going to write a note to make sure we get bring it back around to parent. But like, you know, you said character can be defined a whole bunch of different ways. And I think that's the interesting thing with with the, you know, grading it, I guess, right? Like, how do you how do you apply a number? or How do you apply a letter grade to it? Because when you define character, it might be different than me, and it might be different than somebody else. Um, and one, I guess, to establish what it is you mean by it would be important for a team. And also then how do we, how do you dig up that? Like, how do you find out about character? I mean, is it through, I'm sure there's a few different ways, but um, just because the guys know, right? I want the I want the players to understand. Like, I know you guys are going to call a coach. I know you guys might even go as far as even talk to a principal or a teacher at the school where they're at. Like, there's there's stuff that happens that these guys just don't think happens. They think it just happens on the ice, and that's where it starts, and that's where it finishes. But that's totally not the case. So maybe you can shed a little light on on that aspect. Sure. Um, yeah, the how to to um, figure out some of these things is obviously you know watch them on the ice and. Just rolling back to the diminishing intangibles, the last one 
um, was body language, right? Um, and kids at that age are, are susceptible to, to emotional outbursts and, and displaying that bo bad body language, right? And coming from a, a person who was, I, I was a snapshot, right? Uh, whether it was baseball or hockey, like I would lose my mind. And the reason I, I lost my mind is because is I wanted people to know that I knew that I messed up, right? Um, but it's easy to tell, right? And, and um, you know, I think a lot of times that, that players, um, you know, I think one, one or two instances is fine, but when that, that behavior is kind of continuously racking up, it's, it's, it raises lots of red flags, right? But um, so it starts on the ice, just to go back to your question on the how-to. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's, it, it can happen through coaches, other parents, you know. Um, um, you know, one of the, the, the main sources, I think even um, at the next level, is, is talking to, to trainers, you know, trainers that you know, or the equipment guys, or the athletic therapists um, that nearly every team has now, right, in minor hockey or the academies or whatever, because those type of people are, are usually really integrated with the coach. They spend a lot of time but they can be a fly on the wall a lot of times and be seen as almost like a, um, a step down from the coaching staff. Mm -hmm. So how players treat those types and the information that they can hear um, as opposed to when coaches come in the room, it kind of goes silent, right? Well, those athletic therapists, they, they're there listening to everything kind of under the radar, right? So um, you, you try and get as many angles as possible. And, and of course there's always, uh, you know, rumors and, and stuff, but you, you have to look at things from every different angle. I think if you want to be good and try and come up with the right person. So, yeah, no, I think that's interesting. And one of the things I work with when I'm working with players is, you I mean, some people, and I, I guess it's probably an opinion. I'm, I'm on the side that I, I think character can be built. And I think with intention, anything can be changed. I'm, I'm totally from the growth mindset with that. And it's not what you're born with or your environment and all of a sudden you're there, right? Now where it becomes a problem for a scout or for a team is like to actually do that for all your guys and like to try and create, develop this character. It takes a lot of work, right? So like, I, I'm not ex expecting WHL teams to do that. But like when I'm working with guys, it's like, yeah, I mean, if you think about being more resilient and if you can, if you can understand what that means or if there's an issue, right, with, with what you think your own you know, in quotes, natural makeup has, has a weakness, right? You can, you can definitely build that, right? You can become a better teammate. You can become a stronger person, um, but not without intention and not without some help and not without some dedication and focus to it, right? So, I mean, there's definitely a way to take care of these things. And that's why I love these diminishing intangibles and the enhancing ones, because they're a massive part of a player, a massive part of a player, but it's not just what you are is what you are. Like you can actually become better. It happens. I mean, it happens at the biggest level. The NHL level guys learn how to become better leaders, better teammates. They're selfish at the beginning of their career. They come by the end of their career. All they want to do is win. And all of a sudden everyone wants to be around them. And it's not the same person that they were before because they learned and they grew. Right. So you can do that and you can, you can, you can work on that on your own time. And I just really get excited about talking about that stuff because I, I really do think it's the make or break and it's that stuff that goes beyond the hockey player. Right. I mean, who knows where these careers go, right? Who knows what happens, but if you can learn this type of stuff, the passion, the character, the compete, the being a good teammate, man, like, are you a better human at the end of this? Of course you are. Right. Big time. And um, you know, I think it goes back to, to the, you know, the window that we have, <laughs> players in junior hockey, uh, you know, 
kids that come in are really, um, you know, they're exposed to how they're being treated with the older guys, right? And and if you establish a culture of, well, first you have to find the right the right guys, um, but if you have a group of older players, and they take care of the young guys and they they treat them with respect and they go and find out more, you know, those young guys are going to act in the same way or you hope to, right? So it's just this kind of cycle that you want to continue in that that to have those good people, like you say, a player coming in might be able to to pick that stuff up, but they're certainly going to be influenced more um, in a positive way um, as opposed to like getting shit on all the time, right? Yeah. As rookies, right? Yeah. No, hundred percent. I think the hazing that's been gone and gone away is that that's there's no, there's there's there was nothing really good about it. Sometimes it was fun, I guess. Like some of it, I mean, there's such a there's such a level of all that stuff, right? I mean, of 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 how far some guys took it and the good naturedness of being a rookie and knowing you're a rookie and there's you know that there's there's a humor to that, that that can be fun. But as far as being a part of a team and like being a part of a winning solution, like that guy needs to feel like he's part of things. And he needs to feel he needs to feel like he's a big piece of the puzzle. Because if you see, it's like any organization, I mean, you were talking about hiring for Enbridge, right? I mean, you have to feel important. I mean, when you're working in any type of team environment, that that fourth line guy that's getting six minutes a game needs to feel like he's he's doing something for everybody, right? For sure. And that doesn't happen when you're getting crapped on, or you know, I mean, guys are going different directions, and no one's talking to the sixteen year, whatever the case may be. So, um, like I said, and good. And what's that about? That's culture. That's good people. That's character. That's beyond how how good you can stick handle or toe drag or or what your goal scoring percentage is, right? You know, I mean, yeah. that's 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 being good humans. And you know what? Um, it. As I was talking about this, obviously I talk about this um, a lot of times, and um, I got got a chance to meet with Scott Niedermeyer last year, right? Is because Josh um, was a really good high end player at the Okanagan Hockey Academy. Josh Niedermeyer was yeah. a 2004 second round pick by Vancouver, um, and so talking about just how unbelievable a person Scott Niedermeyer is, right? Um, actually talking with Gilly, he brought up the point. And no offense to anyone in the, the Chiefs organization, but Gilly said, imagine the difference had I been drafted by Kamloops and what I was learning. You look at that that culture they had then, mm-hmm. which I think Scott was a big part of. Look at how those a lot of those pros, whether it was Jerome or Darcy Tucker or Sadar, Sador or Doan or whoever – they kind of learned how to become pros in that time. And then even beyond, they had those resources that they could go to guys and say, like, dealing with this, right? Mm-hmm. So when you think about that, especially at the uh, really, um, you know, sensitive or, or formulative age that junior hockey is, you can be um, impressioned, so to speak, and guided in a certain way uh, on and have long-term implications, right? Yeah, no, no, hundred percent. Yeah, no, 100%. What was that conversation with Scott like? Um, you know, a, a lot of it was, was really just talking about Josh and his intentions, um, you know, from, from uh, Victoria's standpoint, right? But, I mean, the guy, he, he's so uh, intelligent and down to earth and, and just, you know, like he's, he's seen and done everything, but you'd never know it. And, and he's able to look at things from, from a number of different angles and just, just a good guy. It helped having uh, Dwayne Rollison on our staff in Victoria and, and 
uh, Scott and Dwayne knew each other from Anaheim as well. Gotcha. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, Get, pulling it back around to the parents now, since you're talking about Scott and being a parent, and his, I love that aspect now. I mean, which is what brought me back into the game again, as as right. passionately as I am with it, is my boys getting involved in it and now seeing them go through. And uh, you know, it's it's just amazing to see all these other guys now having this this second wave from my generation that have that have kids playing now. But as far as being a parent, um, you know, the, the stories they're not hard to find, you know, I mean, within, within an organization and um, you know, and I'm not talking minor hockey organizations, you know, every team seems to have one or two or three that, um, you know, people are snickering about, but I mean, it goes, it runs deeper than that. And, and, you know, that's, I've never really talked about it before, but I kind of like, my dad was essentially kind of that parent a little bit, you know, I mean, he, he, not so much maybe in minor hockey, but then when we got to the junior level, um, where things weren't going as he thought they should be with, uh, with Brian Maxwell and how much I was playing. And, um, you know, I was hearing it from him, you know, that this, this wasn't good. The environment wasn't good. I shouldn't be there. You know, he was making it very vocal to the GM and to the coach and again, all out of love. And like, he was the most supportive guy ever. Right. I mean, he wanted me to do well. I mean, there was nothing, you know, treacherous about what he was doing. He was passionate, right? He wanted his right. son to play well. He wanted his son to be drafted in the first round where he thought he should be. And he thought he should be on the ice for 20 minutes. So like all the intentions were good, but as far as the way going about it caused a lot of problems, you know, not only for me personally, but then also within like my NHL draft year, like there's tons of scouts that are asking me more questions about my dad than they were about me. You know, like there was, so there was, there's backlash from that, you know, a well-intentioned parent wanting something for his kid, but they don't necessarily see it in the time that this could be hurting them. And so now you're talking about this as like parents are looked at and sometimes, you know, they're, it's definitely part of the consideration. I've told that people at the minor hockey level, for sure, when, when people have a choice and, and it's a fringe player. Again, I mean, if you have a Mario Lemieux, like the, the dad can be whoever, you're going to take Mario Lemieux, right? But if we're talking like a little mid-grade type player why are you going to put up with all the stress and all the and all the stuff that comes with a parent that makes life miserable right I mean I, I it's less so I would assume at the junior level right because you're not really interacting with them but it obviously you, you've said it yourself it's a consideration can you maybe talk more about that yeah I mean um I think you're right at the top end um that that they might be able to get away with it because that that you know, that separation between the really high-end players um, and the, the, the players at that age that are kind of seen as less than or medium, you know, in that specific time, um, they might be able to get away with it because the kid, the player is so good, right? Um, but your answer to, to why would you want to deal with that in the, you know, mid-rough, you, you don't want to deal with it, right? Um, um, it's just... You know, they, there's enough to worry about um, from a GM or a head scout perspective, and and that if you're constantly, you know, criticizing or whatever the case is, is, um, you know, you, you, there's, there's even in the research you can say like, there's one quote that says, "I won't draft a player with a crazy parent. I've dealt with it too much, and I won't do it again. If I see tons of red flags, I'm just not going to do it." And it's interesting that, that that comes from a GM, right, within the league. Um, so, um, you know, and going back to your own situation, every parent wants what's, what's best for their children, right? Um, 
but I think some parents have to realize that that uh, kids are more resilient than you think a lot of times. And um, if you're kind of supporting them um, without interfering, uh, they're going to go through their their issues and they're going to get out of it and they're going to learn from it, right? So uh, this idea of the helicopter parent, you know, comes into play where we want to protect. Like I would protect my daughter. Um, till the end and will um, but she's gonna have to learn you know life isn't always fair right and um, especially when it comes to, to a game you're gonna have ups and downs and you, you have to fight your way through it right again yeah. going back to the passion if you have that genuine passion you're gonna say okay dad good I'm just gonna get back to work right all right yeah, and that, I mean, I mean, I, I, all these old emotions come back. Even thinking about that scenario, and it, and it's funny because like you forget that you're dealing with people, right? Like the coach is a person, the GM is a person, and um, I'm, I would love to have Brian Maxwell on actually because like there was there was a lot of tension that year, and and as a 17 year old kid, who I mean, I can't put, I can't put myself back in that headspace at all, right? I, I remember that I wanted to be there. I remember like my dad wanted me to ask for a trade. I remember that I wanted to figure it out. But I really still to this day think that it was more me not playing was more about him, Brian Maxwell being mad at my dad. It was like two alpha males going at each other. And like I turned out to kind of be a pawn in it is the way I kind of look at it now, you know, because right. all I wanted to do was play. I, I don't I don't think that I was doing anything um, in practice, I was a hardworking kid in practice, right? I was skilled, obviously. I was, a, you know, I got listed by them at 13 years old. It was a three spotter. I mean, was had a 36 year old campaign as a 16 year old, right? So there was, it didn't seem to make sense that I wouldn't be somebody they would want to put on the ice, right? Um, and then maybe, I mean, maybe my play did go downhill because there was so much stuff going on in your draft year, and you're not, you know, like I, I could imagine that it probably impacted my performance at some point. But I wasn't a bad kid. At least I don't think I was a bad kid. You know, I don't think I was recognized as being uh, somebody that that shouldn't be played. And it just sort of seemed like it played out that it was like a little bit of a pissy match against like Brian Maxwell and my dad because it was such a a big deal. And um, and that's crappy. You know, I mean, there, there's no other way to put it. I mean, the, yeah. the kid shouldn't be involved in that situation because there is a kid that wants to play hockey at the end of the day, right? Um, but in saying that, and this is like my big life story here, but I do think that that year helped me going on because I was able to figure that out. You know, I was able to say, no, dad, like I want to do this. I want to find out how, how to make this work and probably didn't go about it the best way. But I mean, at least there was a process there, you know, and there mm -hmm. was a, there was a learning curve. And, and now I guess my, the reason I'm telling that story is because now like at the, at an atom level, like I'll have parents as head coaching this year, right? Like if right. their kid had a 15 second shift in the PPK, PP or something. And I thought they, they, they just went out there for, for instance, and maybe did something that I told them not to do. Right. And I take them off the ice and put on the next line. Like I, I need to explain that scenario, right? How could you possibly take, and you know, I mean, like, that's when it's like, Oh my God, like, can't you not see that there's value in maybe the kid getting off the ice early, you know, like, or, or missing a shift. Like there's some lesson there that you should be able to talk your kid through, right. That you need to learn something. And it's, there's so quick to jump in, right. And fix every problem. And I think that's the danger with parents right now is like, let the kids figure it out. It's okay. Right. Yeah. Um, I would fully agree with that. Right. And um, like, you know, like, even when you talk to Adam or Pee um, parents, and, and I do lots of presentations, 
why there's no one there right like like even for example this year we're drafting the 05s right i'll take note of the 06s but there's there's too much other stuff to really focus on other than the 05s right so even their performance this year the 06s that are that are playing as first year bantam i'll take note but i'm not it's not make or break for them until they're kind of in their year and and rightly or wrongly that's just the way the process works right mm-hmm. you're focused on that 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 draft year so why not implement things like we'll be a good team player if you got taken off maybe you got to do something right or maybe you weren't working hard enough or you know yeah whatever the case is be a good team player instead of making it about the individual right yeah the massive lesson there. And then, and that is, I mean, all these things we're talking about to me is like, that's what this big, like the aha moment of all this stuff is you don't get these things. You don't learn how to compete consistently and have character and have passion and be a good teammate without going through some shit. Yeah. Like you got to go through it because you have to build it. Right. I mean, it's, it's one of those things. And if you, when you get, when you get sabotaged or, or wham basted with something that now it's your first year pro and maybe you had a sweet, smooth minor hockey career and all the coaches loved you and you went through junior and it was a breeze. Now all of a sudden you're in pro and you can't figure it out and somebody doesn't like you. And, and now you're going through something for the first time. Hmm. Like, Oh, that's dangerous. Really good, dangerous. Good you know? luck. To you. Yeah. Right. Cause you don't know, you don't well, know. Especially when you're, you're trying to compete against, you know, guys that are putting food on their table for their families at the pro level. That's a different game. Yeah for a young guy to step into and, and have to face some adversity. Hey there, guys. Thanks for listening. Just a short reminder that please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast if you are enjoying it. That's the only way to really support me and to support the podcast. If you like the information that we're bringing you, um, let others know about it so it allows uh, the algorithms and the search engines to bring up Up My Hockey when people are looking for good content. So if you can help me, that would be my ask to you is take the second afterwards to uh, leave a review. And to let us know what you think of the what you think of the content. Thank you very much. Now back to the episode. It's got to be intrinsic, right? That passion word. I love that you talking about that because there needs to be a deep level of that. Like, why am I doing it? Why am I going to fight through this, right? And if you don't have that, you don't have the grit, and you're going to quit, and you're going to do something easier because it's not easy. And and pods, that's okay too, right? Like, yeah, you're still learning from the game, and you'll learn. Hopefully you'll learn what you're passionate about, right? And um, there's still lots of lessons. If minor hockey's your last stop, you've learned more than most people who um, play, don't play a team sport, right? 100%, 100%. And yeah, there's no judgment by me. I just like when guys come to me and they say, hey, what what I say, what do you want to do? And they'll have whatever it is that they want to do, whether that goal is, you know, I want to play in the WHL or I want to get a Division one scholarship or, you know, I want to be an NHL player. Well, okay. That's awesome. I love that. Cause that's what I do. I want you to get that. Big but time. Th- this is what this means though, yeah. right? You, you have to understand what you're saying because there's going to be a level of commitment that you're going to have to, that you're going to have to dig in and do, and there's going to be a level of resiliency that's going to be required. There's going to be a level of work ethic that's going to be required. And if you're prepared to do that, then let's do it. Right. And maybe yeah. we'll find out along the way that you're not prepared, but I mean, I'm going to be as honest as I can with you about what that process looks like. 100%. Right. Um, 
So, yeah, so parents are, are interesting. You mean the, the, the selfish behavior? I, I love that you talk about the analytics too, because the analytics, and I mean, my gosh, we could, have a, we could have a day conference about this, right? Like some teams are just all in and that's all they look at, right? They, they want a number and they attach a, a number to stuff. And these, anal these uh, intangibles you're talking about are almost impossible to put a number on. Um, so that becomes really interesting to right. me, uh, right. those, those organizations. Um, but I like that you're, that you're talking about this. I like that you incorporated it. How does, uh, how does this, um, how does this get into your draft list now? Like, how do we make what we're talking about here? How do we pull it out of the ether here and like apply it to like, well, you got to pick players now in, in, in three weeks. And, and maybe you guys do agree on the skating. This guy can skate, right? Maybe you guys do agree. Yeah. This guy is good finisher, good first pass, all those stuff. That's the eye test. And now you're having to talk about character and maybe you're, you're digging in on something and somebody else doesn't see it. Like how do, how does this come out in the wash at the end of the day? Yeah. I really think that it's like, like anything, right. Um, like going back to your comments about the analytics, if you rely on analytics alone, you're going to be in trouble. Right. Um, if you rely on only intangibles and you just pick the, the hardest workers, um, the best team players and the most passionate players, but they don't have the skill or the skating ability, you're in trouble, right? So it's a collection of all these different things and, and um, that you take into consideration uh, combined with all the hard work that you do plus what you know um, and coming up with what you feel are the best decisions as a group, right? Um, you know, in, in my research, um, which I, I truly love doing. I came across a study uh, that was done in, I believe it was in South Africa about rugby players and it was a longitudinal study, right? So mm -hmm. that is they were measuring kind of all these different things about players in their youth and then tracked them over a long-term basis to see how they ended up, right? And so it was a 12-year a study um, that this uh, gentleman by the name of Spamer um, included and, and in his conclusion uh, one of the conclusions was he kind of said like there is no no uh, set number of of kind of possibilities into the inputs you can put in right meaning like after 12 years I still don't know how many things we can measure to come out with the best answer right so it's it's if you like I say, it's a collection of things as opposed to relying on just one thing here and one thing there, um, and kind of being narrow viewed, right? You got to take it as a whole. If that makes have you, sense. Have you found, and, and as you're uh talking about this, I think I've been I've I've kind of no, I've maybe subconsciously known this or felt this. I want to hear your opinion, but like, let's say, I mean, just so we can, we can have a, an equation here. Let's say you have a guy that's a, a seven out of 10 for skating and you have a guy that's a five. Um, but the five guy has tons of passion. He's got tons of character. You think he's a great leader. Um, he competes. Do you see that guys are like that can close the gap? Like, I think that, I think that guys that have these intangibles get better, right? Exactly. They continue to get better and they continue to enhance the, the, this, this initial talent that everybody loves. Everyone loves talent, but I'm now I'm talking about skill, 
right? Like, what do you do with that talent? And I think these guys that have the character that, that go to the ends, right. And are going to put in the time they can catch these other guys. Like th th that's where I think in your window, like that's where it'd be interesting because I, I think if, if you could kind of track that almost and see if that actually happens, I mean, I've seen it anecdotally, right? But I wonder if it's like, if, if, it, if it actually comes out in the wash that way. Do you, do, you, do you see that happening? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the next uh, phase in, in my research. And, and even the, the team, when I, I defended my thesis, has thought of different ways that we can track this and put a substantiated number on it and make it more of a quantitative look at things. Mm -hmm. But going back to just your comments there, um, you know, and I love talking about this stuff, um, because it goes into, uh, again, one year of your development, whether it's the WHL draft or the NHL draft, that is not the end of the line. Right. And, and especially the younger kids, like if you think back, we're the same age, 1976 born. When you think back to how you were at that age, you kind of think talent is a static thing right? hundred percent. Either you have it or you don't. hundred percent. So when I look at Michael Jordan as a kid, I was like, he's just better than everyone. Right. And yeah. as I came to grow older and appreciate what he put into the game uh, and you even look at that, you know, cut from his high school team, all that stuff. Right. He was relentless. And so there's this, this big kind of differentiator between talent and skill there's lot i think every player considered for the draft whether you're first or don't get drafted has talent yeah. but skill is only developed by hours and hours and hours of relentless work yeah and, and no i think you say that unbelievably accurately and and uh and i was one of those guys because i was talented i was one of the most talented guys right and so I always thought, and I say that in, in my presentations now, like I thought if you, if you had the talent and if you worked hard, then you were going to make it right. Because the best players, the most talented players play in the NHL. Right. But right. there's so much more that goes into it. And plus when you consider talent as being static, which is completely inaccurate, Big right. Time. Then you start, I mean, I don't think I was any different than anyone else, but like back in those days, we weren't necessarily working. I mean, I was a pro. I wasn't trying to get better, like consciously trying to get better. I was just, trying to produce really. And yeah. I think there's a different perspective there, right? Like trying to produce and trying to get better are two different things. Big time. Now understanding like what a growth mindset is and, and knowing how to talk about it, knowing how to teach it. Like if someone could have pulled me aside and said, Hey man, let's capitalize on this God given talent. And this is how we're going to do it. Right? right. Like my, I'm intelligent enough to figure that out. Right. But it just wasn't around. It wasn't there, you know? So you're just kind of going through the motions of being a player. Um, but you saying there that you thought talent was a static thing. I think, I mean, that's, I can completely relate to that. And I think most, most people probably do. And maybe I think a lot of people still do, which is why I think what we're talking about, what your, what your thesis about what I'm about as a mindset coach is like, guys, this is, there's so much you can do here, right? Whether you're first overall or whether you didn't get drafted, man, like there's, there's so much more to go. Yeah. Right. And, and let's talk about it and let's work on it. Cause if that is your goal, man, we can, we can make a difference. Big time. And, um, you know, it's, it's the growth mindset is, is we always said in Victoria during our, you know, we had some competitive teams, um, throughout the league and, and in the Western conference. And we always stress better each day. Right. And a lot of kids want to get better, 
um, you know, improve the things they're all, they're always good at. Um, but those, those truly talented players and um, kids that, that have developed a growth mindset, which usually comes from home, by the way, um, you know, th they understand that they have still have weaknesses in their game and they want to get better in every kind of asset. Right. And going back to my, my comments below or, or comments before rather that, you know, every step you go up, um, you got to prove, you know, your worth. Like every time in, in minor hockey, you're always trying to make a team, but as you know, the next step in your career, if you want to make this a career is you have to keep a job, right? And yeah. so you're not, you're not trying to make a team anymore. You're keeping your job, which requires you to get better. Uh, not only with your skill and skating or whatever the case is, but who you are, how you develop the young guys, how you are in the room, what, you know, what kind of message are you conveying to people and um, all those type of things help keep your job. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's just this mindset of, of, of getting better every day and how, how you can do that. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and instituting that as part of like who you are, like that's the identity of who you are. And, and, and when I talk to guys, it's not just about being a hockey player. Like you need to approach life like that, right? Like you need to be excited about getting up and doing something to, to improve yourself, right? If that's like the backbone of who you are and who you develop yourself to be, and that's your identity, then it's not about scoring 50 goals, right? It's about, Hey, what did I do today to separate myself from myself yeah. yesterday or from others around me or whatever that motivation is. Right. And when that is, when that's the breeding ground, like you're, you're building your self-worth, you're building your self-confidence, you're building all these, these strong integral things about yourself that isn't off like the, like the term anti-fragile, right? Not anti-fragile, right? It's not stuff that is out of your control, but it's stuff that's within your control. And For when sure. you really embrace that, my gosh, does that translate into performance and to yeah. getting closer to your potential, which really what is the end of the day is what we all want to do, right? How, how much potential can we get out of ourselves, right? Yeah, big time. Um, and I always address, um, just on that note, I always address players in, in the presentations that I do. Like, this is an athlete presentation. I know you guys all play hockey and you want to be in the NHL. There's only so many jobs, but if you want to be uh, an athlete, that, that opens up a lot of, I'm not just a hockey player, I'm an athlete, right? And so athlete is continuously getting better and trying different things. and um, you know, I think that only improves yourself when you're not defining yourself as a hockey player all the time. Right? Mm -hmm. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, I, what I love with working with the young guys or, I mean, guys that are passionate about something, which is hockey, like this becomes a platform and a framework that you can talk about all these things around because when, you know, it, it's, it's much easier to have something that people are passionate about, right? I mean, I can take my son and say, Hey, we're going to, we're going to use all these growth mindset concepts around long division right? And he doesn't want anything to do with it, right? So it's really hard to teach that stuff off of something that people are interested in, right? But when you can find that, that thing, right? Now, now those lessons can, can translate into everything else, right? And that's what I love about hockey players and young hockey players that want to get somewhere is that they can learn all these things that are going to translate um, outside of the game and hopefully to the game that they want to play and hopefully get the goals that they want to get to. But like you said, there's only so many jobs. There's only so many scholarships. There's only so many things uh, that can do, but the ones that want to dig into this stuff the most, I tell you, are going to have the best chance of getting those things, right? For sure. For sure. Yeah. And not, um, not getting defined by those, those years. Like you don't get drafted at 17 uh in the junior league like there's plenty of 20 year olds who get free agent signings every year or get drafted at 19 18 so it's not getting locked into that, that type of role. 
As a scout, I'm going to shift gears a little bit just because sure. we, we talked about um, ice time and stuff. And so that's like the biggest thing, I think. And I think everybody wants to be on the power play. Everybody wants to be the goal scorer, especially at the 14-year-old level. Are you looking for the best offensive producing player all the time? Is that is that how the draft works, like one through eight? Uh, does it matter that much? Like, I'm just, I'm trying, and maybe it does matter that much. But if, I mean, if I had a kid that was going to his draft year and now he's more of a PK guy in his team, but, you know, you can tell he's got some skill, but for whatever reason, he's not on the PP. Like, I mean, what does that mean at the end of the day? Like, what does that mean to you as a scout uh, at the end of the day? Yeah, what I will say is um, <clears throat> there's a couple things with that, right? And and the first one is that, that you know, if you think scouts don't maybe, you know, and this is not in a disrespectful way, but if you don't think like scouts say, why isn't that kid on the power play, right? You know, kind of questioning some of the coaches' decisions. Like, so so it's not, you're just, you're just not enamored by the players on the ice. You're thinking like, why don't, they have this player there or that player there. So the, the ice time is not, not um, everything. You, you can see the abilities kind of plainly a lot of cases, right? Whether you're on it or not. Um, the second thing is, is, you know, <clears throat> even I can envision a couple of players this year uh, that are high on our list that might've played every power play. But you know what? In three or four years, that's not going to be their identity. Their identity is going to be on the PK, you know, um, clearing pucks uh, out of the zone and really good front net. Mm -hmm. And they might not get any power play time, but they're still going to get the NHL prospects, right? Yeah. So um, that's where a lot of kids get into trouble. Pods is where they, they think they're Sidney Crosby or Patrick Kane. But in reality, they're, I don't know, like uh, Andrew Shaw or, or kind of those, those agitator type of roles. I can't even think of, it's been so long since we've seen a hockey game, but you know, right. the, their, their identity is, is maybe a bottom six guy, a Sean Corrali, like, um, um, you know, the, those guys that really add value in a salary cap era who know what they are. They're not trying to be Patrick Kane, but they're still making a career out of it. Right. And right. kids get locked into, I want to be Patrick Kane. But I'm saying, I usually say when, when I'm working with the individuals, at the next level, are you going to be Patrick Kane? Right. And they're usually like, no, I'm not. Okay, so let's find a role model who you want to be like. Right? Yeah. So I think you, hopefully you can see where it goes back to that ice time and really, really those players that are effective um, – which every team needs has a, has a clear identity of what they are. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, there's two parts there. I think that I'd like to touch on is one with, with the ice time you, t and then you I mean to bring back in your thesis and the bad body language and the selfish behavior, or the, you know, the emotional maturity. I mean, if you, as a scout, you're watching there. I mean, you can handle that two different ways, right? Like one, now I'm, I, I'm letting everyone know that I'm upset that I'm not on the power play by my body language and by being like, I'm supposed to be the guy. And, and that shines through in flying colors. Or you can be the guy that just digs in, takes it as an opportunity, crushes the PK, and, and do what you do on your regular strength shift. Show your skill then there, right? Do the things that are going to get you recognized and, and have you guys in the stands talking about why isn't that guy on the PP, 
right? Exactly. I mean, like, the, the, and that's the, and that's the thing that I love about mindset, right? Is because you're t you can tell yourself two different stories. Why me? Why isn't the coach not, not like me? How come this is so unfair? I'm better than these guys, which results in all these thoughts and emotions that that result in poor results. Or you can be like, hey, what can I learn from this? How can I get better from this? How can I show the best side of me in this situation, right? And when you have those conversations with yourself and you can consciously have them, my gosh, you're talking about two different hockey players. Big time. Right? And, and just to add to that, you know, or dad or mom is in the lobby between periods. Like, why isn't he on the power play? And, the, and it, it, you know, going back to my comments um, about my own um, personal body language, especially in baseball, right? I was throw bats and snap and, you know, it, but um, looking back, you know, you, you only have so much energy, right? right. So l like you say, when you're spending all that energy and like, why me, why this, questioning this, pissed off, which everyone can usually plainly see, why not use it in kind of, if, if our energy is limited, like you say, how can I learn from this or how can I, I'm going to get an opportunity at some point. This is just one game, one period, one shift. I'm going to get an opportunity. I'm going to focus on the next time I get that opportunity. I am going to crush it. And, and it's just kind of that when you think of it in an energy perspective, like um, you, you wouldn't want to waste your energy talking about all that negative stuff. You just take your time. Take your time and, and, and learn and grow and see how you can be effective because, you know, if you're a good player at the minor hockey level, you're going to get an opportunity, right? Yeah, 100%. Does that make sense? No, 100%. And I'm just thinking as you're talking there too, you, you tied in the parents too. Like what an amazing thought that is. Like so when that kid, that Bantam kid or that Adam kid or that Pee Wee kid comes home from a game, and instead of in the car ride listening to what an ass the coach is and, and I can't believe he took you off and, you know, poor you, what a victim, like that whole thing, instead of being like, hey, man, how are you going to get on the ice the next time? Yeah. Right? How, how are you going to handle that? How, how are you feeling right now? What are we going to do tomorrow to make you better so we can get back? Like that discussion, that different discussion with, from a parent and that energy, oh, my gosh, talk about you want to support your kids. Just have the right conversation with them. Get them to think the right questions, to find solutions and not more problems. Like that's, uh, it's, it, I, it, it just breaks my heart to hear, knowing what some kids go home to every single day and now they're supposed to produce and now they're supposed to look, look at things from, from a positive perspective and, and that they're in charge, that they can be initiator of their own situation when everything about them is being, is being spotlighted as them being the victim. Like, yeah. oh, it's painful. Yeah. And even just, you know, going back to, I could open up a huge conversation. Uh, I'll, we'll take it offline sometime, but um, just how uh, particular politics in general over time influence um, how we look at, at team sports, right? Um, but even back to your example on the car ride home, instead of making it about the time the, the coaches, how, you know, bring it back to the team. The team won today, or you guys played awesome as a team, you know, and you'll yeah. get your chance, right? Like, like instead of focusing on the individual, focus on the team. Then the kids like, yeah, you're right. Like, we, we, were, we were good together, right? Or, you know, whatever the case is, right? And mm -hmm. um, 
a couple of uh, scouts that I had on our staff uh, last year, um, we, we got into this, and I think Roly was there too. Uh, we got into this discussion about like, and this is kind of outside the scope, so I won't spend a lot of time, but how, how you look at um, just even um, after the communism, after the wall fell in, in Germany and, and after communism failed, like the Soviet model of hockey went from the unit of five that worked together and did, you know, each played off each other's strengths and weaknesses as the unit to then Russians became completely selfish, right? And how that, that breakdown from a, a more cohesive structure, team structure went to now individualism. And, and of course we live in a capitalist society. So everything is about me and everything's about you or, and my child. So it, it kind of creates this individualism, right? Yeah. But we'll say that. Yeah, we'll yeah, no, I, it's interesting. That's an interesting parallel for sure. And I can see how that, uh, how there's teeth to that, to that argument, 100%. Yeah. Um, one thing I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to circle back on you. You talked about, you know, everyone wants to be Patrick Kane and not everyone maybe uh, likes the role that they're given on a certain team. And uh, I just want to talk about how important that is because the, the word I use with the players is adaptability. Because being a hockey player, and again, there's no right or wrong in this. Like some guys, and that's the downfall of some guys, is they, they only like hockey if they can be the goal scorer. Right. Like that's how they associate with it. That's what they love about it. They love putting the puck in the back of the net, and they love being on the power play. And that's why they play the sport. Now, if that's it, and if you can't be in that role, then you're going to be miserable. And that's fine. I'm not going to tell you that you have to love blocking shots and be on the PK. But guys that can be adaptable, that love the game for the game and will take whatever opportunity they have and then maybe try and grow into that other role, like that is a massive, massive attribute to have, right? To be, to be adaptable, right? To understand that there's value in doing other things, even though it might not be your one thing that you really want to do at that point, right? Like do that well, do that real well, right? And then see what comes from that. Uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, and even when you look at it, um... You know, you see a, a lot of really prolific scorers in junior um, or whatever the case is in, in Bantam 2 junior, but they make that next step. And a lot of times they either have to break in in a different role and, and they, they might get stuck in that role and they don't want to do it. But um, if you look at a successful team, and, and especially at the NHL level, the best teams to me, are the ones that have the best depth guys that want to play five minutes a night on the fourth line and eat pucks on the power or on the penalty kill. Right. Mm -hmm. um, in a salary cap era, you can only have so many stars before you need those guys that are just willing to grind it out and give you solid minutes. Right. Um, and, and I think that's where you might see guys that you never would have thought go on and be successful because they were willing to do that right yeah um and and really kind of accepted their role and and just said yeah i'm i'm gonna do that and that's fine with me right um so yeah i think that plays a major factor in who you think you are who you're being told you are um and, and like you say m maybe being adaptable to to fill a couple different shoes right yeah it's a being it's a huge thing to yeah. do it's a huge thing um 
Yeah, I mean, I, I just uh, it just came to mind. You're talking about Boston, and well, you weren't talking about Boston. I was thinking Boston. You're saying the teams that are successful, and I just, you know, like Zidane Chara, like having him in that lineup at that age, like the things that he does off the ice and how he's grown as a player. I mean, I had Wade Rednon as a guest um, last week and, and just talked about, I mean, because Chara wasn't that awesome when he started. I mean, it wasn't like he was this God's gift to hockey. He was gangly and he was uncoordinated and he, he did a lot of things not well, but he was really big. And he just grew into that role and he grew into the player that he is. And now he's, I mean, he'll be remembered as one of the best D-men to, to play the game, you know, and Stanley Cup champion. And now you got that guy and these younger guys coming in, looking at that model, like you, you talk about, I mean, what environment you're in and how, and how that teaches you things, like seeing him at the rink every day doing the things that he does to, to continue to improve, right. To continue to be relevant. Um, my gosh, talk about the lessons, right? Z is amazing. And, uh, believe he's the first European captain of a Stanley cup team, wasn't he? Yeah. Lidstrom wasn't at the time, was he? No, it's close, but he's, he's right in there, which speaks volumes about him because again, he was never a, He's not a real power play guy, is he? Not anymore. Yeah, I don't see him over, um, you know, whether it's uh, Krug or or whoever, right? McAvoy. Yeah. No, I know. Yeah, and and you change and roles change throughout, and that's the thing. I mean, guys, you have to be adaptable because you're going to be in different slots at different times. You got to love the sport enough just to want to do that. Love being around the team. Love being a team guy. I mean, your your motivations change too at, at different times. Um, getting back, winding it back to these Bantam guys now, and 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 more from a parent perspective and the teams, right? Now there's these all these choices of like academies or whether we're going to go to zone programs or whether we can stay in our local community, and um, there there's. I don't know. It's just become such a massive business and there's so many options. Like, do you, I think you're going to find the player. Now the top guys you're going to find because they're the top guys, but like, what if you are a, a middle rounder kind of guy, or maybe a late rounder kind of guy, like does exposure is, is there limited exposure in certain places? Is that like, a, is that an undeniable truth? Is it a, is it a real important place where you play so, so you, they can get seen more? Um, you know, I think there's, there's value in the academies. Um, but that said, you know, if you're a player, you're a player and, you know, this year is an exceptional year, right? Without the, the provincial, uh, end of year provincial, uh, programs of excellence. But if you're a player, you know, you're going to be someone's there's no real secret gems out there whether it's minor hockey or the academies right um even if you are you'll find a place there's not to say like um there's a lot of list players that become really really successful i mean jake bean undrafted player in the western league first round nhl pick i mean look at this past year's uh world junior team joel hofer the goalie undrafted right so um you know i don't think it's it's not a make it or break it a year but if you can play you can play and then the other thing um you know that i'll add to that is that you know and this is no knock on on either route because sometimes the financial component comes into it but but we find a lot of times the academy kids 
are so polished when they come out of the academy programs and they can slide right into the junior game from um, uh, a mental aspect to the physical aspect, but they're almost as polished as they're going to get where guys from minor hockey don't have that polish yet. And then once they get into that next level, they start to thrive, right? They figure it out. They're like, wow, yeah. I, you know what I mean? So there's yeah. advantages and disadvantages of both. Um, I really don't think we cover the, the uh, you know, depending on what geographic area you're in, in Western Canada, um, we cover the, the minor hockey as closely as, as the, here, especially here in Alberta, as closely as we do the, the school and the academy. Gotcha. Yeah, man, what, 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 I mean, what worries me is when kids are leaving home so early. I mean, that's the first. I mean, I left home early. And now being a dad looking at that, like, it, it kind of breaks my heart a little bit, you know, um, to, to, have, to have guys leave at such a young age. And then and the other part that bothers me a little bit is just the financial aspect. It's like, it almost seems like you got to be rich to make, to make it, you know? And, and I shouldn't say that. It doesn't see, it just people, people uh, seem, make it seem like that's the case, you know? And um, again, like you said, I mean, it, yeah, it, it helps, right? It, it helps, I guess. I mean, cause you're on the ice more and, and hopefully the coaching is, is better. Uh, you're surrounded by better players, I guess, but it's not a necessity. Like it's, it's not a, it's not a must have, correct? Yeah. From my perspective, I'll agree with that. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, unfortunately the game was, you know, I always look at the, I try and look at the big picture pods. And, and when you look at like the history of, of this game, um, it's always been, when we were playing, it was less pronounced, but it, you had to have money to play, right? Some kind of, whether you're middle class or, or kind of upper class, you had to have those resources to play. And now it's getting even more elite and white collar than it, than it ever has been, right? Which, which raises a couple of different um, interesting topics of discussion. But when you look at the greats of our game, Bobby Orr, Mark Messier, Wayne Gretzky, who are those? Read their biographies. Read where they came from. They came from blue-collar people, right? And and so the game, as it becomes more elitist, if you will, um, it just I think it's going to drag out some of the top athletes that that attracted that are attracted to the game. Because if I'm a parent and my son wants to play hockey, um, and he's really really talented. And I know the perception that hockey is just for the wealthiest. I'm going to say, no, 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 let's try soccer out. Soccer, right? Let's try that instead. You know what I mean? So you're taking away athletes from the overall population mm -hmm. as it becomes more elitist, right? You know what else I think it just does, which I maybe you agree, maybe not, but like talk about taking this whole conversation full circle and the value of intangibles. Like, you're telling me that a kid with a nanny and a, you know, and a special driver and goes to the academies and private school and this and that, they know what it's like to be out in the farm and throwing bales around and having chores and learning about grit and perseverance and, and doing it if it's raining or snowing or whatever the case may be. Like, so my point being is like the more elitist it becomes, the more these intangibles are going to matter because they're going to be less prevalent in the, in, in the cross section of who you're dealing with. Right. Because for the most part, you're not as you're not as a, a, uh, as resilient. You haven't been through as much adversity. If you're in a if you're in a nice 
home and the lights are always on and food, the best foods on the table. And, you know, you're running around to your Taekwondo practice and then to your, to your tutor and you're doing this, you're doing, I mean, that's not, that's not what it takes to be an NHL player. Right. You know I mean, like it, it, it can be, but if you can get that kid in there now, right. Or a white collar, I mean, a, a white collar kid that gets passion, that gets leadership, that gets resiliency, that gets grit. Oh my gosh. Now you're separating yourself. I think, I think it's going to become more, those intangibles you're talking about are going to be more of a separator uh, coming up in the future than they ever have been. Yeah, and I think that's why they're so important. And, and even as you talk about that, like Patrick came from an, uh, Patrick came, came from an ultra-wealthy family, but he was relentless. He doesn't develop that skill. Again, going back to the, you know, talent is not static. It is something that you develop by just, through passion and working hard and effort and wanting to be better, right? Um, so I think those the the you're right in that those intangibles do they do matter and they do count and uh, especially over the long term if you're trying to project teenagers, of course you're not always going to be right. Yeah. Um, but whether you're projecting teenagers for junior or teenagers for pro, they matter, right? And yeah. Um, um, so yeah, I think that. That's a great job of pulling it full circle. <laughs> well, I mean, I really do. Th I, I think that it's there. And that's why, I mean, it's not easy to, to probably hear the passion in my voice about it because it's so true to me. Like now, no, like wishing that I would have understood a little bit more about psychology, about like how to, how to change, reframe your perspective, you know, about how to develop that growth mindset and now to see it apply, like in, it, to implant this new information that I've been learning and studying onto today's athlete right today's young athlete and now as a dad to be able to use it as a dad right? and as a coach and like to see the difference that it makes um it's just i mean gosh it just it just fires me up because it, there, there's there's so much there right there's so much there as far as extracting what you want to do which has become great the best version of yourself big time and uh i you know in in um you one of the questions that you kind of uh had we don't have a script uh, a strip script today but you, you asked like what what I would recommend or one of the questions was, let me just look at it. If you don't no, it's yeah, advice to players, right? What would be the, your advice to players? Okay. Um, my advice to players um, <clears throat> is that, uh, you know, and I think it goes, goes along with, you know, everything we've talked about is um, don't feel like you're entitled. You know, the, the, you know, the old model used to be like, prove yourself, right? Um, earn what you keep. And now it's like, hey, what, what can the team do for me, right? Uh, I don't think there's anything um, more counterproductive than taking that attitude in general. Um, is, is, you know, you, you're going to have to work for whatever you get um, within the game, I think, especially. Um, so so try, and, try and steer away from the entitlement side of things and, and really know that you're going to have to earn your keep whenever that might be. If you really want to make an impact organizationally within your junior team or, or beyond, you're going to have to work for them. So, yeah. um, and then I think the second thing that's kind of attitudinally um, or, or the, the attribute side, but the second thing I always ask kids um, individually or, or in a group setting. Um, you know, I say that the two things that you can continuously work on 
are the skating and skill, right? Those are not static. Like if we had Connor McDavid on the call with us today and one of us asked him, hey, Connor, do you think you're a good enough skater? I bet you his answer would probably be no, I can do better, right? So it begs the question, and it's, it's tough for kids and even us today to wrap our head, heads around like, what is too good of a skater? What is it? Connor McDavid is the best, but I think he, he thinks he can get better, right? Or what is too skilled? Like, what is too skilled? There is, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it doesn't exist. Right? So, um, and that kind of goes back to the, what you need to continuously improve and, and kind of back to the growth mindset, right? hundred percent. And that accountability, like I wrote down there as you're, uh, as you were talking, because teams need to develop their players, right? I mean, especially at the junior level. So like there is a development aspect to being a junior hockey team. One, you still do want to win. You still want results. That's what it's about. I mean, it's still, a, it's a business, but you need to develop your players because the better your, your culture and development is, the better you produce for the NHL, the, I mean, the, the reputation, the culture, everything goes around that. Um, but what, what I think some guys get caught up into, and again, especially more maybe so in this, in this age of the game is that, everything is so cookie cutter produced for these guys now, right? Like you're going, you're going here for your skills coach and you're going to go here for your power skating. And then you're going to go here for your workout. And then maybe we'll have some study hall and then you go home. And now what happens at home, right? Is this time, like the time that you actually have to yourself. I think players think that their development has already been taken care of. And now there's nothing else I'm supposed to do because everyone's handling this for me. And I just, when I talk about development for the players I work with, I'm like, you got to be accountable for your own, like what they put there on the table. Like that should be the bare minimum, you know, your approach to what this is all about. And when you look at, and when you look at the greats, right. And again, these guys are savages, right? Like some of these guys, Zachara and Kobe Bryant and Jordan and, and Crosby and some of these guys, but like, you should be doing something extra. That doesn't mean maybe doing an extra thousand push-ups a day or 500 squats like Jaeger, but I mean, you should probably be picking up a book that interests you. I mean, read a biography maybe that interests you. You should maybe be thinking a little bit about mindset or maybe you should be doing an extra exercise or something. Like if you're just doing the bare minimum that everyone else is doing, I mean, that's when guys start taking that initiative, right? That accountability for their own development, that's a special thing too, right? Just don't be a, a, a victim, not a victim, but like a product of your circumstance. Big time. And uh, actually, I did a, um, um, a global interview here in Edmonton uh, in 2019, late in 2019 with uh, John Sexsmith. And uh, he has a son that plays in Red Deer um, for the Rebels there. Um, and uh, we were talking about all this. And, and, you know, we were talking much like we are today about, um, you know, how this, this all kind of comes together. And, He's told a story about Pat Verbeek. Remember Pat Verbeek? Yeah, Hartford Whaler. Yeah, and, and, and like 5'9", 180 pounds in a really tough era. Uh, and whenever he kind of looked back and people asked him um, about how he, how he did what he did, because he, he put up big numbers in every kind of category, he's like, I always thank my dad. And he says, because my dad told me at a young age that if I really want to get somewhere, that I need to put in a half an hour extra every day to develop, and not the same thing, but a half an hour extra um, to 
really be better and get to where I want to go. Right. And so he always felt, always stood with him um, as a kid. And then he, as he became a pro, it's just that half an hour extra. And when you think about it, even now with, with whatever the case is, the, the, the time, the amount of time they send at school, spend at school or in the gym or on the ice, what's 15 minutes or half an hour to yeah. read or to do plyometrics or skip rope, something yeah. different every day. Right. So yeah. that, that point is well taken. And, and I, you know, a lot of the kids today are like, he's Pat Verbeek, right. But yeah, rec- recognizable name. Right. Oh yeah. There's, and there's, there's so many stories like that. And that's, uh, yeah, that is what it's about. That's where it starts. I think from the very, very bottom of the foundation is like, what are you about? Right. And if you're about getting better and if you're out improving, if you're about uh, trying to get to your potential, then all of a sudden you start thinking differently about your day. You start thinking differently about what it is that week looks like and how you're going to get to that end result. Right. As opposed to just being a product of this machine that is a hockey playing place, you know? Um, yeah. So, you know, what we should talk about a little bit is like, so what you do now, because you, you mentioned that you, you, you speak to teams and stuff. And, uh, and I believe you, you, you would probably use your thesis as, as part of your, as part of what you're, you're talking about. How do you serve players today when you're not sizing them up to see if they can play for the Winnipeg ice? Um, yeah, I, I either individually or in group settings, um, you know, the individual consultations is really just establishing, and all for me, I'm, I'm quite pragmatic in my one-on-one approach and that, um, someone comes into me, I'm not forcing, um, everything, you know, one size doesn't fit all. And, and so, um, it depends what they're dealing with, uh, from, you know, just performance anxiety to, to wanting to get to the next level, whatever the case is. Uh, you have to be flexible in your approach and what you're providing uh, to people um, and individuals. And, and so, yeah, it, it's, I'm really in the process of just kind of building that business as well. Um, but it's something that I find really gratifying, not only with, um, you know, some top end players, but it's even gratifying to, to deal with players that just want to get to the midget level. There's a really big sense of satisfaction and just helping a young guy look at something a little differently and like just a slight perspective change and then not making a really big difference and um yeah it's really really satisfying when you see them later on uh and whatever they're doing right yeah i know 100 i can totally relate to that um so so people can come to you um on a consultation basis or whatever, it can look you up. I'll, I'll, re- I'll reference that in the show notes and also in my outro, how, the, how people can find you um, on an individual level. And then how, how would, uh, like if a team approached you and wanted you to come in, what, what, uh, how does that work? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's flexible on what they want to um, talk about and for how long, right? Um, you know, I could, some of these topics I could do full days on. But usually, you know, you get the attention span of young guys and with their busy schedules and uh, parents and kids alike, it's usually an hour, two hours and just really going over a couple of key concepts, depending on what the coaches want or, or whatever the case is. Right. Right. Yeah, no, that's great. I've, I've actually started doing uh, what I call my mindset 101. 
uh, course for for small groups like te- teams it could be a team or it could be small groups, especially at this time, right? Because guys are not they're not able to go to rinks and they're not able to to go to gyms and and they're they're left a little bit to their own devices and uh, and it's a great time to be talking about that not only from from a hockey standpoint but also from a from a life standpoint, right? Like how to how to make this this era that we're currently living in um, be a positive one. Um, you know, because there is opportunity right now, there's opportunity for guys who they're not seeing it, you know, and the guys that take opportunity are also continuing on with their development. They're also taking ownership of their scenario, um, you know, ownership of their, of their progression. And, uh, so it's actually been, I've really enjoyed doing that myself actually right now. It was just talking about those initial factors of mindset and how we can tell ourselves a different story and and take advantage of some, of some situations. And, and hopefully this, uh, helps guys move on into their, you know, into next year. Cause I mean, hockey's going to happen at some point again, nobody knows when, but, um, we need to be ready for it when it does. And I know, uh, excuse me, I know that the organizations that must have all these uh, different action plans going around and, and ideas of, of what's going to do when, when the light turns back on, but uh, the players got to be ready too, right? The players got to be ready. And I couldn't imagine being an NHL guy right now. That'd be a really weird place to be in. Um, trying to stay at your peak physical condition, having your mind involved in that, right. And having, uh, without really knowing what's going on. Um, it's, it's a challenging time for everyone, but I, we can definitely help, help these guys get through it. Big time. Yeah. positives and everything pods there can be mm-hmm. there can be i mean we, we it's not like fooling ourselves and blowing sunshine and wearing rainbows all the time but you I mean there there there's a reality of situation and there's also yeah how, how we want what we want to do with that reality um so uh so yeah i'm, I'm not all uh yeah i mean I, that that whole positive i mean you got to be positive got to be positive like I'm, I'm a positive guy there's a reality of situations that you can't get away from you know but there is there is an ability to take control of whatever situation it is and make it a positive somehow there, there there's always a solution um I'm, I'm definitely i'm definitely from that school of thought and right now there's a lot of solutions for guys and i'm hoping that they're seeing them i mean uh, part of our coping coping mechanisms uh as human beings when it comes to adversity is that it takes time. And so, you know, initially you're not going to be positive, but hopefully the goal is to get there, right? Or, or some people are positive off the start and then they go downhill, right? It's, it's your ability to grab that um, and try and find the light out of the dark, right? Isn't that interesting? Yeah, that, uh, that's another little piece, but like that gap from like feeling that emotion. And then now we even use an on ice scenario, right. Or like a high performance scenario where something bad happens. There's not anybody that doesn't have the bad feeling with doing something bad, but it's like, how quick can you get past that to get back in that state, to be able to perform again. And the longer the gap, I mean, the less professional you are at the end of the day, right? Like the guys that do it the best are the guys that have the shortest window there. It's like, bam, they have the self, uh, awareness and the ability and the toolkit to be able to get back on rock and roll let's go do you find that oh big time especially for goalies right it, the goalies have they dwell and they uh you know they'll overthink things but the ones that can put it out of their mind in the moment and then address it later are the best goalies to me right and yeah that's a lot of conversations with old rollerton and uh <laughs> in victoria and um you know he's a he's a genius too when it comes to that stuff too so it's a, it is a it's an ability i think you can learn too right yeah oh 100 i think all this stuff can be learned i'm mean, definitely from the learning capacity and and i think there's so much stuff to be curious about that we should be learning all the time especially these young guys right get curious about the game the history of the game the people in the game 
you know, the different aspects of the game, like this, like this time right there, that's a perfect one, right? There's an opportunity right now. Maybe you usually don't have as much time to be able to look into that kind of stuff. Get curious about what you're interested in, right? You call yourself a hockey player, get curious about it, read about it, look it up. What's interesting, right? Like it teaches you stuff. And like you said, those old stories, the biographies, find somebody you like, see what they're about, learn from them. It's a great place to learn. Big time. Yeah. Well, we could go on for absolutely ever, Ginty. Um, I, I always love our conversations. The fact is that we just happened to record this one. Most of them are actually pretty much carbon copy yeah. to, uh, to the one we just had. But I really appreciate it. I know this is a special year for all these Bantam guys. I know it's a big time for you. You I mean, you do all this work all year to get this list together and trying to do the best you can here in, in the coming weeks. And um, and it is different this year, just with what's going on. Guys aren't playing and hockey stopped. And there's, there's a surrealness to the whole thing that seems a bit eerie. But uh, um, really appreciate your insight. I love your research. Um, I'm a huge fan of it. Uh, I, I hope that people get out. I want to actually introduce it in my uh, somehow. We, we, we'll talk maybe offline just about how to get it in front of some people. Because I think it's, it's such a valuable read. Uh, parents need to know. Kids need to get it. Um, it's going to make them better people and better players. Uh, and, uh, boy, I, I, I just get excited about that kind of stuff. So, so thanks so yeah. much for being on. Well, thank you, Jason. I mean, uh, I always love our conversations and, um, you know, I certainly don't ever try or, you know, hoard my research. It's, it's there for people to learn from it. So pass it along and people want to hear it, you know, firsthand. I'm okay with that too, but, um, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I always, you know, Thank you and, and enjoy chatting with you, bud. No, oh, awesome. Yeah, and in the um, in the exit uh, outro here, I'll, I'll let people know where to find you. Um, really appreciate your time, and uh, we'll we'll be chatting soon, boss. Sounds good. Awesome. Thank you so much for sticking with us for that conversation. I absolutely love talking with Ryan. Ryan and I always have great discussions, whether it be ones that we record, like this one for the first time, or just whether we're having a beer or talking on the phone. Uh, always find something interesting to talk about. We believe in the same things. We're passionate about the same things. Um, if I was a scout, I believe I would scout the same way Ryan does. And uh, we both believe that you can improve. Uh, we both believe that these things matter, these, these intangibles that uh, Ryan calls them, these enhancing intangibles, we can get rid of them. I mean, the enhancing intangibles, we can, we can grow and we can develop and we can improve on, and, and the diminishing ones, we can get rid of. So uh, why not talk about them? Why not shed a light on them? Why not let people know that you're actually being watched for these things and that all these factors uh, make you develop you uh, into the type of hockey player that you want to be that scouts want to identify and have you as part of their culture so tons of fun really love that that's a great interview for anyone out there who wants to get drafted by anybody whether you're a 14 year old going to the bantam draft like ryan's looking at right now or whether you're an 18 year old wanting to get drafted by an nhl team these things are a big deal so um yeah talk look for ryan he's in uh the, he's a mental performance consultant at pivotal physiotherapy uh, he does a great job. I love his work. Um, or if you want to get into some one-on-one -on -one coaching, obviously that you can look to me at upmyhockey, uh, upmyhockey.com. 
uh, is the place to find me and to look into what I offer there as far as building some of these characteristics, whether it be in a online training or whether it be in a in a one-on-one -on -one scenario. So. Uh, best luck to everyone out there, all you Bantams out there for the draft this year. I hope everything goes well. I hope you're working through this Corona virus scenario that we're in and keeping focused and keeping dedicated because you know that the rinks are going to be opening up and there will be hockey to be played. So all the best out there and uh, stay safe. Cheers.